The following audio is from First Hamilton Christian Reformed Church, where our vision is to be transformed by the gospel so that we can participate with God in his work of renewing all things in Christ. For more information about First Hamilton, visit www.firsthamilton.ca. I would like to invite you all to recall a, a moment in time where you were about to receive a good gift. Perhaps it was as a child you were eagerly anticipating a particular Christmas or birthday in which you knew that your parents were going to get you exactly that Lego set that you really wanted. Or maybe at work, you've just come through a really large project and your boss has promised that you are going to receive a bonus for all of your hard work and you begin to think about how you're going to spend it. Or perhaps this time of the year as we are, you know, filing our taxes, it's a great time of the year to be a student because you know that you're, you made so little, you're going to get a nice little check in the mail. And you think about, how am I going to spend this? How am I going to celebrate? You begin to think with anticipation and excitement about what this gift is going to do for your life, how that Lego set is going to change everything for eternity. And you might come to this place where it's all you can think about, the thing, the gift. That when you receive it with barely a thank you out of your mouth, you grab it and you run to use it. Not stopping to think about the person that has provided it to you, that has been generous in their giving. I don't know if we think of the government as generous in giving, but work with me here. (laughs) We become so overwhelmed by our thoughts of what we are about to receive, that when we receive it, it is all we can think about and we forget the one who has given it. I would like to invite you to join me in the passage from Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 26, verse 1 to 11. The book of Deuteronomy, it sets the stage for the Israelites coming into the promised land. Deuteronomy meaning second law. Moses recounts their story from Exodus to wandering through the wilderness, receiving the law, and basically prepares them to enter into the promised land. Because after 40 years of wandering in the desert, the Israelites were finally going to their home. Moses reminds them that their wandering was because they did not believe God the first time, that God will fulfill the promise of bringing them into this new land flowing with milk and honey. And so Moses takes that time to sum up their story, reminding them that now is not the time to doubt. Because not only do they have the story of how they were brought out of Egypt through the Exodus, passing through the Red Sea, but they also have 40 years worth of stories of how God kept them safe in their time in the wilderness. And in anticipation of this, Moses reminds them that there is still a lot of work to be done. The promised land is not open, but it is filled with people, enemies, which is what caused them to cower in the first place. And so Moses, not shying away from the work to be done, takes time to tell them what they are going to do after. How should they respond once they have received this gift Something an entire generation of people have been waiting their entire lives. You have to imagine that children were born in the wilderness, in tents, living only on manna. Perhaps they'd have a hard time thinking about what it would be like to live in a green land, to eat grapes, to farm, to sit under the shade of the tree by the cool of a water. They might have only remembered stories from their parents who had then since passed of what it was like to sit on the banks of the Nile. 
eating fresh fruit. You can imagine the excitement, the anticipation. But Moses wants to check that excitement to remind them that while there is a lot of work to be done, there is something they must do once they are in the land. Their first response should be thanksgiving. For Moses says that in that first year that you have taken possession, take some of the first fruits of all that produce from the soil of the land the Lord your God is giving to you. Put them in baskets, then go to the place the Lord your God will choose, and they are to bring it to God. It reminds them right off the bat that this land is a gift something God has given to them. It is not something that they have taken for themselves, that they have worked really hard, that they have earned, that they deserve. No, it is a gift. And to drive this point home, Moses goes through a very shortened, condensed version of their history, starting in verse 5, because when they come to the temple with their first fruits, the first harvest of the land, the first sign of God's provision... In verse 5, they shall declare before the Lord your God, My father was a wandering Aramean, and he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. They start with the story of Jacob. Jacob is like the one they're referring to because of his time in Aramea. It came with a small family. It's his 12 sons and their wives and their children and came down into Egypt during a time of famine. It was during that time that they multiplied, and the Hebrews grew into that great nation so great that the Egyptians became worried about them and thought, there's a lot of Hebrews here. If we're not careful, they're going to overwhelm us, overpower us, and push us out of the land and make us slaves. So we should do preemptively to them what we think they are going to do to us. And so the Egyptians subjugated them to harsh labor. And then in verse 7, Moses continues with the story. It says, Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil, and oppression. Moses is sure to remind them of their situation before God brought them out. That God heard them. God saw them in their misery. In the Hebrew word for misery, it carries the notes of affliction, poverty, destitution, It's not just about feeling sad, but it's about having absolutely nothing, being in a miserable state. To toil, it's a wearing effort. For many of us have tasks and jobs and things to do that require effort, but they're exciting and they bring us life, no matter how hard they might be. I remember summers landscaping. The days that were the most exciting would be after we had laid an interlocking stone patio and we get to cut a really nice curve and edge into it. It was exhausting hot days wielding that concrete saw, cutting through the snow, being covered in dust and 40 degrees with humidity, but the work was so satisfying that it made up for that effort. Not so if you're a slave. There is no life-sustaining work there. It did nothing but grind them into the dust. Hence the oppression, the absolute distress of these people who cannot help themselves. But God saw, God heard their cries and was not deaf to them and was swift to act. And he acts with deliverance. For when God sees his people in trouble, he brings them out of Egypt with a mighty hand and outstretched arm, which is the most poetic way that the Old Testament lays out God's power in action. He reaches out. 
He comes towards them, is very active, and he brings them out with great terror and signs of wonder. We're reminded of the ten plagues of Egypt, of the splitting of the Red Sea, the pillar of fire and cloud that led them through. These were awesome, fantastic signs that defined these people as a whole. The Israelites should be defined by the actions of God, not their own. And so the response is thanksgiving. Place the basket before the Lord your God and bow down. Then you and the Levites and the foreigners shall, in residing among you, shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given to your household. And so the response is thanksgiving. The first fruits would have been the first things that they would have harvested, those first fruits that were just turning ripe, the first sheaves of wheat that were ready for harvest. And in that first year, they were to take these offerings to the tabernacle. And this is really important for an agrarian society because the fact that they had first fruits and were able to take them to a central location in their new nation, it meant that they had possessed the land long enough to farm it. They had existed in peace long enough to work the land, to till the soil, to plant, to harvest. And they also were able to have enough peace and safety and security in the land that they could travel the distance from wherever they were in this promised land to Jerusalem. It is a representative of the fulfillment of God's promise to bring them into this land, to give them an identity, a place to live, to work, to exist, and to enjoy. To be able to do this is only possible in a land of peace where you're able to work for yourself and not for someone else to benefit from your hard labor. It also reminds them of their change of situation. Identity is not brought about by their own power, for they were once foreigners. Jacob and his family coming into Egypt, they did not belong. They were foreigners who were turned to slaves and oppressed. But God brought them out through the Exodus and was bringing them into a new land, a new people, redeemed. This festival of the first fruits reminds them that they did not earn the land that they lived and worked on. That after a year, their memories might be a little short. They might get a little comfortable and think, wow, we worked really hard this year. Let us enjoy the fruits of our labor. We earned this. It is a reminder that God earned it on their behalf. God made it happen because he is generous and compassionate towards his people. And it's for everyone. It was not just for the Israelites. That verse 11 is so important that it is for also the Levites and the foreigners residing among you to celebrate as well. While there were certainly other people that were not God's people at that time in the land, they were invited to participate and celebrate too. There was no distinction between, well, God brought us into this land. We worked with him. It is encompassing everyone in your community. There is no one on the outside of this celebration. No one on the outside of God's great work to be reminded that God does it all. And this is appropriate as we come into the season of Lent, that we recognize that the change in our situation that Jesus brought about by his death and resurrection is not something that we took hold of for ourselves. It is not something that we made happen. The season of Lent, marked by repentance, by contemplation, is meant to remind us that 
God did it all. To recognize our need for salvation, to recognize our situation as miserable, toiling, oppressed by our sinful nature and the sin of this world, and to cry out to God that we need to be saved. Lent reminds us of that situation, preparing us to once again receive the gift of salvation again and again by reminding us that we cannot do it. We cannot come into the promised land on our own. We can't even break ourselves free from slavery on our own. We need God's mighty hand and outstretched arm. And so, for this Lenten season, I would invite you to think in a sad note how desperately we are in need of saving still. How each and every day we step outside God's will for our lives and we willingly subject ourselves to misery, toil, and oppression and to remind ourselves that the only thing we can do is cry out. Psalm 91 from our lectionary reading today gives us a sense of what it means to cry out. It gives us a sense of what to ask because it does not reflect on what our ability is to liberate ourselves, but it wholly reflects on who God is. It invites us to dwell in his presence. For it says, if you say the Lord is my refuge and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near your tent, for he'll command his angels concerning you and guard you in all of your ways. And we might ask ourselves, how does this sit knowing that there still is so much difficulty? It's really hard to stand up here and to preach that God will make you safe, knowing the conflict that exists in our world, knowing the suffering and oppression that we've all been watching on the news. It's because this is a message that is not brought to fulfillment yet. We still are anticipating a final restoration. We are not in the promised land yet. We're sort of standing on both sides of the Jordan River. But God is faithful. This story in Deuteronomy reminds us that God does fulfill his promises. He does recognize and hear our situation and says, I will provide you a way. Because even as the psalm continues and says, because he loves me, speaking of the psalmist, says the Lord, I will rescue him. We might think, well, of course we love God, so bring us out of this difficult situation. But we cannot love God perfectly. We do not love God as he deserves yet still, and so continually stand in need of salvation of God to make that love perfect in our hearts, to teach us to love. And so we are reminded again and again that we can't do it. And there is no more fitting picture of how unable we are to bring ourselves into salvation, how much we need God than to come to the table. For as we come to the table today, I want you to think about how you were once alienated. Paul uses language in Romans to call us enemies of God, standing in opposition towards him, willingly. And for some of us, perhaps like those people born in the wilderness, we might not remember a time when we felt we were saved because, slaves because we were born into the church. We grew up in the church, and we've always known that God is good. But we come to the table to be reminded of the sinful condition of all of humanity and how 2,000 years ago 
God sent his son into the world to provide the means for coming out of that sin and slavery. For this is a means of remembrance, to reflect, just as the Israelites would bring their first fruits to the temple to remember God's generosity. So too we come to the table to remember that he is a generous God and is willing to save us from our oppression, our toil, our absolutely miserable situation. For some of us are waiting for deliverance from illness, from difficult situations, from mental health challenges, from war. But as you wait, be encouraged by this meal. Because this meal reminds us that God once again acted with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm when we could do nothing. So as we go through Lent, I would invite you to be encouraged that if you feel weak, unable to bear any fruit, know that God has done it on your behalf. That God is doing it on your behalf. And God will continue to do it on your behalf until Christ comes again. So let us come to the table, offer what little we have, knowing that God has given it all for us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, sometimes we can get so stuck in what we can do, what we should do, what we need to accomplish in life. And we are called to work. We are called to be productive, to contribute to our families, our church, our world in positive ways. But we know our limitations. We know that we cannot bring anyone to salvation. We cannot bring even ourselves there. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you reached out time and time again throughout history to bring your people to you, to bring them back into right relationship, to reconcile those who were your enemies to peace. And Heavenly Father, we may feel like we are in a dry time. We may feel like we are in the wilderness being tempted to abandon your promise we cannot see the promised land and cannot think of taking it in. We thank you that you are gracious to give us signs of remembrance. We forget that Jesus paid the price for us. What he did was the ultimate act of generosity by dying on the cross for us. We thank you for giving us this meal, for giving us this table to come, to be restored, to be renewed, and to celebrate a gift for all not just those we consider in, but for all people, for those who are of our community, for the foreigner, the sojourner, the alien, the oppressed, and the marginalized. It is to these that you reach out. And may we be nourished at your table and inspired and encouraged to reciprocate your great gift of grace to those around us. Amen.